Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome. It's me. Yes, this is the Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, one of our longest-running series here under Game Changers umbrella or banner, and this is Season 6 if you're keeping count. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have, oh, by the way, if you want to run with the with the Game Changers, you're in the right place because this, as you know, is where the best run. So the buzz on the street, I found a quote from a gentleman named Stefan Franzik, F-R-A-N-C-Z-U-K. It's a blog he wrote on September 21st last year, 2018. Listen up and then we'll talk more about the topic. He said, I forecast we will see intelligence in the form of machine learning survivorship. This will likely take the form of algorithms which learn how records survive and will therefore use these results to make predictions about which records survive and which don't. This will free up a lot of time for the data steward. That is a packed quote. Let's see if we can unpack it a little bit. We've got intelligence. We've got machine learning. We've got records, meaning files and data, and freeing up time for the data steward. So what are we talking about today? A quiet revolution has been unfolding in enterprises around the world. And we're talking to you around the world right now on the Business Channel. We assume you're in some kind of a company. When I think of enterprise, I think of big behemoth companies. But it could be SME, a small to mid-sized enterprise. It could be a startup, but it's a company. It's a business. So while the snazzy digital transformation successes are grabbing and hogging the headlines, you know, people are talking about machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence, and predictive analytics, and process automation, and real-time insights. Okay, what's going on in the background? There are enablers of these innovations. These are the tools and the services that help companies manage their data. So what's going on with data management? That's really the core of what we're discussing today. Businesses are reinventing their approach. They're taking a holistic data management approach. Why is this necessary? Number one, Data volumes are soaring. You've heard of volume and velocity and variety. Well, the data is just coming in from everywhere. Governance requirements are tightening. Uh-huh. You gotta keep track of it. You gotta deal with, with compliance and all that good stuff. And then analytics needs are multiplying. It's not just data. You need to glean the information that's useful from it. There's so much going on. So what are the major trends in enterprise data management and how will they impact your business over the next, ooh, five years? There's a look into the future. We hope to find out. I have a panel of two experts today. They're so smart, we only have two of them, usually three. Let me tell you who they are. First up, I'm welcoming back a gentleman whom I met at SAP Sapphire a couple of years ago in Orlando, Florida. It's Rex Alstrom. He's the Chief Strategy and Technology Officer at Back Office Associates. Looking forward to connecting with Rex today. And a newcomer to Game Changers, 
John Fisk, F-I-S-K-E. He's vice president of the Platform and Technology, COE, that's Center of Excellence, at SAP. So welcome to Rex and John. We're going to have a really, really fast conversation here. A lot of back and forth, and I'm really looking forward to learning from the two of you. So Rex Alstrom has sent us a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Anybody not remember Benjamin Franklin, FRS, FRSE, January 1706 to April 1790, an American polymath and one of the founding fathers of the U.S. His bio, Rex, this guy has a bio that's unbelievable. He was an author, a printer, a political theorist, a politician, a Freemason, a postmaster, a scientist, inventor, humorist, civic activist, statesman, and a diplomat. He was a major figure in the American Enlightenment and the history of physics. He discovered a lot of about electricity. He invented the lightning rod, bifocals, the Franklin stove. He founded organizations including the library company, Philadelphia's first fire department, and even the University of Pennsylvania. I'm tired just reading his bio. Here's the quote Rex has selected from Benjamin Franklin. Never confuse motion with action. Rex Alstrom, how have you been? I haven't talked to you in a couple of years. I'm doing great, Bonnie. It's really good to reconnect, and uh, especially given the topic that we're going to be covering today. It's an area I've got a lot of passion. Good. I'm glad. That's why you're here. So talk to me about this quote, never confuse motion with action. Sounds very appropriate coming from the guy who who invented the lightning rod and worked with electricity. He didn't invent the light bulb, but probably almost everything else that Edison didn't. It was either Franklin or Edison. So, Rex, what does this mean for our topic today? We're talking about enterprise data management, holistic or not. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, well, first, I definitely have a, a special affinity for Ben Franklin. I'm from Philadelphia area, so uh, that is home and where I grew up. Uh, now I live down in the Washington, D.C. area, but uh, still cling to my Philadelphia roots. And why this particular quote, I think, is uh, really resonates with me is reflected really in the life work of Benjamin Franklin as well. Um, there are a lot of people out there that talk and have meetings and strategize and do a lot of things that create a lot of activity and generate a lot of motion. Uh, But without action, it's just motion. And when we're talking about a topic like data management, like the changes that could occur based on your quote earlier about Mm -hmm. the evolution of AI and ML and where that will go, we have to move fast. We can't sit back and just prognosticate about these things. We have to take action. We have to prepare our companies. We have to be a motivator in our businesses to make the changes that are required to really take advantage of some of these new technologies. So don't just spin your wheels. Don't show the motion. Take action, and let's get some value out of these topics. Appreciate it. Very, very interesting. Um What do you think, Rex, Benjamin Franklin would say if you were able to look back into time and say, Mr. Franklin, we're still talking about you in 2019. You made such an impact on the world. You were such an innovator, a disruptor, a visionary. And now we have something called the Internet and Internet Radio, and we are still honoring you by picking up your words and making them even more famous and spreading them all over the world without wires. What do you think Ben Franklin would say, Rex? Well, maybe the first thing, since he was from Philadelphia, uh, and in current day, he might say, go birds, because he'd probably undoubtedly be an Eagles fan. Uh, but on the, on the other side, he would probably say, 
that a lot of the things that he invented had an impact and are still having an impact on what we're doing today with modern technology. Uh, I think it would be fascinating to have somebody with his mind being able to think about where he might take that going forward with the ability to invent like few people on this earth. But uh, I'm sure he would be flattered and I'm sure he would have an opinion and I'm sure that he would action something rather than just talk. Well, very, very good. I was very intrigued that he would say, go Eagles. I like that a lot. Thank you very much. Oh, you made me smile. Thank you. John Fisk, you're up next. And John has sent us a quote from Tyler Durden in Fight Club. And I didn't read the book or see the movie, John, so I had to look it up. And just let me give a little background here. Fight Club is a 1996 novel by Chuck Palanook, I'm going to say it that way, that follows the experiences of an unnamed protagonist who is struggling with, well, a lot of people have this, insomnia. And his doctor said, oh, that's not suffering, but he finds that he is relieved by impersonating a seriously ill person in support groups, and he meets a mysterious man named Tyler Durden, and they establish an underground fighting club as part of their version of radical psychotherapy. The film was uh, director David Fincher adapted the novel into a film starring Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, and it got quite a cult following, despite it didn't do so well at the box office. The sequel, Fight Club 2, was released in comic book form in May 2015. Uh, I'm not going to tell any Anymore, but I will say, John, that in 2008, Tyler Durden was selected by Empire Magazine as the greatest movie character of all time. And seven years later, <laughs> in 2015, he placed at number eight. And it turns out that the narrator learns that he and Tyler are, in fact, the same person. Ooh, I'm getting chills. Maybe I'll have to get it. So here's the <laughs> quote John has selected from Tyler, whoever he is, Durden of the Fight Club. The things you own end up owning you. John Fisk, you're a newcomer. Welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thank you, Bonnie. Doing fine, thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm delightfully happy to be here with you and Rex. I love this quote. Talk to me. I think this is a, a, a comment on materialism. I'm not sure, or capitalism or something. The things you own end up owning you. That's Talk right. to me about That's how right. did you pick... I mean, actually, to give credit where it's due, I think it's a yeah. very old idea. I, I, I think the Buddhists were probably the first uh, to articulate it, I understand. And then Henry David Thoreau said very similar things. But, but I loved how concise Tyler Durden's, Durden's version of it was. And I love the movie, so... Um, the, you know, the idea, of course, is that sometimes people fall into traps uh, where they acquire lots of non-essential things uh, with the idea that those will improve their happiness or their, their, their life quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, vacation homes and boats and extra cars and things like that. But in the end, all that extra stuff just takes over their mind space, right? They, they be, the, the, the assets own the individual, as it were, and uh, the person spends all his time stressing about it and running around doing insurance and repairs and maintenance on the house, and it just it sort of takes over your life. So um, it's a bit of a stretch, but uh, my, my, fun, my, my connection to the topic today was that, um, you know, roughly in the world of enterprise data management, uh, you know, there, there were some architectures about five years ago that were just taking over IT with, their, with the burdens that they required uh, people to, to go through. They had to hire armies of professionals and, uh, and um, you know, stand up, stand up large complex systems that were slow moving, kind of took over all the energy, all the mind space of, of, of enterprise or at least IT organizations. 
but now we have we, we can sort of shed shed as you might shed some possessions to get back to your sort of liberated self. You can also shed some of that infrastructure uh, by changing architectures and kind of uh, you know federating data as, as we'll get into later. But that, that's the basic concept. So anyway, a bit Very, of a stretch, but that's how I yeah no it no it's fu- it's fine. Topic. That that's why we start with these uh, these quote unquote inspirational quotes, John, is to see what the topic means to you, how it resonates with you, and what you think and how you relate words from something, a book, a movie, a song, a person, to to the topic, and that's the stretch we're looking for. So thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and the quote is very well put. Very, very well put. I think we're all in that bind. Oh, what do I do now? How much insurance do I pay? When do I have to take something in for maintenance? <laughs> it, I just did a show this morning on the circular economy, you know, reuse and repurpose and remanufacture, and uh, uh, I was I was uh, mentioning at the very close of the show. I had three gentlemen from SAP on uh, Dan Weller's and Chris Koch and Will Ritzrow, and I was saying, is the original version of the circular economy hoarders or garage sales? <laughs> Thinking, what do we do with our stuff? Some people just keep it forever. Some people just put it out on the lawn, put a price tag, and hope to God somebody will buy it and make it their stuff, right? And I don't think they were too amused with my analysis there, but we'll just let well, that This go. is the era of Maria Condor, isn't it? It's sort of the same idea, just... Get rid of it, you know. Absolutely. And the question is, how much do you love it? And if you don't love it, then pass it along or get rid of it or sell it or do something. But how many times can we pass the same, I won't say the C-R-A-P word out loud. <laughs> how many places and <laughs> times can we pass it? But that's not really the the, uh, the crux of circular. So let's go back. We, you've already, to, to my audience, you've already gleaned a lot from the opening quotes and the conversation with my two panelists. But now we're going to dig a little deeper and find out who they really are. Are. So, Rex Alstrom, you're up first. Rex, three questions for you. Number one, where in the world are you calling from today, or where are you? I just need a hemisphere, or a continent, or a city would be fine, a lake. We don't need the block in the street corner. Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you to do what you do? And number three, what do you do as the Chief Strategy and Technology Officer at Back Office Associates? Rex, tell us about yourself, please. All right, excellent. Uh, well, I'm currently calling you from a hotel in Atlanta. I had an early meeting this morning, and I've got another one this afternoon. Uh, and then I'll be enjoying some barbecue with a coworker who graciously invited me over to his house, who happens to live in the area here. Very Looking nice. forward to that. Uh, in terms of what I like to drink, I would say coffee, but that would do it a disservice. Uh, I am a, a, a real coffee aficionado and uh, love Italian espresso machines and have mm. a special nook set up in my kitchen where I get up every morning and make uh, fresh ground uh, espresso and then convert that into macchiatos and lattes for my family. I am the in-house barista. Uh, no one else knows how to use the machine, which means that I will never be out of a job when it comes to making coffee. So that's a good thing. The things you own end up owning you. <laughs> that's exactly right. There it is. I want to sleep in in the morning. I get the calls, you know, time to make the, time to make the espresso. It sounds uh, wonderful. So Do you have a special the, kind of beans you use for this, Rex? Any favorite favorite beans you buy or you grind them yourself? How do you do that part? Yeah, no, there's a, a number of online retailers. Uh, and I tend to go for the free trade coffees. Uh, pretty mm-hmm. selective about who I get them from. 
Uh, there's a local roaster in Annapolis, Maryland that makes some excellent uh, coffees. There's another out of Chicago. So kind of rotate around depending on what time of year it is and what their harvests look like. But uh, The reason fun. I'm asking is we... We talked about a free trade coffee on my show this morning. We talked about Java Planet, which says it's the best coffee mm. on the planet and best coffee for the planet. If you haven't heard of it, it's at jporganiccoffee.com. 100% organic, fair it. trade, and bird friendly. Okay, jporganiccoffee.com. One of my panelists said, and it's rainforest, part of the Rainforest Alliance, bird friendly. What can I tell you? Single origins. Very, very interesting. Uh, interesting, shall we say, um, provenance of this coffee. So go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt, but I had to tell you that. So go ahead. No, that's great. I appreciate the tip. Okay. Uh, yeah, so as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Strategy and Technology Officer, Back Off Associates. And uh, so I wear a lot of hats at the company. Uh, primary roles are looking after our technology and where we evolve our products, uh, how we uh, leverage those products with our partners like SAP and others, as well as really researching where is the market going, how do we stay relevant, how do we continue to evolve in this really rapid uh, moving market, especially when it comes to data and technology. Um, on the strategy side, I also work a lot with our partners, uh, looking at how we can shape the business, how we can improve and grow. And uh, one of my favorite things I get to do is to meet regularly with our customers, because uh, it's one thing to go and have a vision for something and get it built and put it out there and get it sold. It's another to actually see it in use in customer environments, to understand how it's being used, how it can evolve and how really our customers are looking at the market as well. So uh, that's a really fun part of uh, what I do on a regular basis. Nice to hear from you. Thank you so much. I have a question for you before I move on to John. How did Back Office Associates get its name? When did the company start and who who started it? Where? Uh, it started quite a long time ago, actually. Um, I've been with the business a little over seven years, but it began... Uh, geez, I think it's over 22, 23 years ago now, mm. and had its origins in working around SAP systems, uh, looking at how we solve very complex data migration processes, uh, build a world-class services organization, and then uh, eventually after I'd come in, a number of other new leadership uh, members came on board, really built it out into an enterprise-class software and services company really focused on solutions. Thank you very much. Just want to get a little history in there. And John Fisk, you're up next. John, where are you in the world today? What's your favorite drink, beverage, bean, whatever you'd like to share with us? We just want to know a little bit about what makes you tick and what is your role? What do you do? Sure. So I am calling from Arlington, Virginia. It's a bright, sunny day. The forsythia is blooming and the, uh, the cherry trees are out. So we're right next to Washington, D.C., um, I, it's, it's a lovely day here. Uh, in my cup today, as they say, is, uh, I, I'm, today I'm drinking Lapsang Souchong, which is a smoky tea from China, which, uh, I love. Um, keeps me, keeps me going. Um, and then, um, you know, my day-to-day role, it, it's varied, I, I guess, like everybody's is, but, you know, fundamentally it's, it's helping SAP customers think through their data strategy and think through their platform design issues uh, and sort of m- making sure that they come up with solutions that fit their needs. So kind of like Rex, you know, a lot of, a lot of the time is thinking, 
thinking through how we, how we solve these complex problems that are emerging uh, in almost every organization. Thank you very much. I, I looked up Lapsang Suchong. It's spelled in different ways. Um, I think I have that right. Made in the Yui, I'm sorry, W-U-Y-I Mountains. I don't know how to pronounce that. Home of Oolong Tea. Lapsong was a tea that, let me see if I can find This is under silkroadteas.com, and if it comes up, a famous tea made by withering tea leaves over open fires of fresh pine logs made in the mm. mountains I mentioned, home of oolong teas. It was a tea that European tea traders loved, and the Chinese responded to their interest with production. In recent years, as black teas generally have gained interest in China, this tea has grown in popularity. Very, very interesting. Uh, there, the one particular one, Silk Road, uses a medium in smoke flavor and a fresh aroma. Is the sound uh, familiar to you? <laughs> I had no idea of the background of this, but yes, that uh, sounds like an apt description. It's, it's delicious. Good. Glad to know. I will try to pick some up. Thank you very much. And those of you, two of you don't know me very well. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. We started out our day with 35-degree weather. The ground is still recovering. I have neighbors who just did all of their landscaping, and we've been dipping down in the low 30s overnight all week. And it's supposed to get up to almost 70 this afternoon. So we've got a 30, even 40-degree spread on an average day here in late March, early April in Durham. I did not move to the south for the warm winters, obviously. I didn't know it was going to be this erratic, but what can I tell you? I've been here a year and a half, lived on Long Island, New York, for the past 32 years, and here I am in a beautiful house, and all they let me have, John and Rex, I'm not allowed to have anything with caffeine on radio show days, and I think you already know why. So I had a show at at 11 this morning, and now I have the show at 2 p.m. East Coast time, and then I can have something a little bit stronger after that. So I'm here with two very interesting gentlemen. We have Rex Alstrom from Back Office Associates and John Fisk at SAP, and we're talking about a very important topic, enterprise data management, holistic evolution. I'm going to just, before we take a break, and I want to do that in a few minutes. Rex, let me start with you, and I'm going to ask both of you the same question. In the abstract that was given to me for this show, the question was, this is a rapid holistic evolution of enterprise data management. I know that's a mouthful. So my question to you is, is it rapid, and is it or is it not holistic, and if it is, how is this evolution holistic? Evolution versus revolution in terms of companies coming on board and saying, yeah, we got a lot of data. Yeah, we need to do something about it. So, Rex, what's your position on this? And then I'll ask you, John. Yeah, sure. Um, it's definitely rapid uh, in terms of the technologies and the things that are shaping the market itself. Uh, as you pointed out in the very beginning, it's hard mm-hmm. to get into a technology conversation, especially where data is involved or really anything, and not have the artificial intelligence or machine learning algorithms or other things come up into the equation. Uh, the idea that uh, that everybody at that I'm sorry, the technology will become so smart that we'll be displaced as human beings from doing the uh, mundane work or even more important work. I think the reality, when you say, is it holistic, mm-hmm. is a little bit different. Right? The, okay. the future and the vision and the capabilities, I think, are all moving in the right direction. Uh, but when I meet with CIOs of companies, they're still saying that the foundations, the data that is going to make those things possible and the, the vision of the improvements and efficiency and insights 
uh, and gains in terms of productivity can only be realized if the foundation that's feeding those algorithms, those technologies, those techniques is solid. And so there are still a lot of fundamental problems within most organizations that will hold back their ability to take advantage of these technologies. And so one day it will be holistic. One day uh, the data fabric or the idea that information flows seamlessly across these algorithms and and even the earlier quote that the algorithms themselves will uh, be able to delete mm-hmm. records or improve data sets, uh, we're a ways off. And we've got a lot of work to do on the foundations, both operationally as well as at the uh, foundation data level to really make that a reality. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. It's wonderful that we have titles for these shows, but I really like to do, do a reality check with my panelists and you two are the experts and find out what's really, really going on. So it might be fast. It might be heading toward holistic, but you're saying there's a lot to do. John Fisk, love to get your take on the same overview. Agree or disagree with Rex or just come at it from your own direction if you'd like. Yeah, I, I, first I agree with Rex's, all, all of his points. Uh, what what I'd add first as a, you know, one of the big drivers is the shift to the cloud. Um, it's, you know, people, corporations are moving infrastructure and data sets and applications up into cloud environments very fast. So that's kind of the speed. Uh, but then to Rex's point, the key, the key, the, the data, which makes everything work in the end or fail, um, is the is is still there? It's still data, and it has the same problems it has for thirty, forty years. Where you know we're we're humans, we're we're involved in creating the data and editing it and messing it up, and we're very good at that. Um, and it's it's, I th- my, what's interesting to me is the possibility that this is going to become sort of this feedback loop soon, where. Um, we can use the machine learning tools, uh, for example, and robotic process automation and sort of things like that to expedite and streamline the data, data management, data quality uh, capabilities, which then will feed uh, the other ML-based uh, applications and capabilities. So hopefully we'll get a sort of virtuous cycle there going where we have fewer and fewer human um, uh, interrupt points, if you will, uh, that just can you know get people out of that loop and, and let us focus on the, the more creative things, which we're much better at. So. Thank you very much. Thank you both for your honest appraisal of where we are. I think that's what people really need to know. We're going to take a quick break. I'll call it the, the pause that refreshes. So you two are welcome to go off and have your caffeine. I'm just going to have a sip of my water here. That's all I'm going to have. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and you're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio with my two very, very much alive and into and engaged with the topic, Rex Alstrom at Back Office Associates. If, if you're looking for Rex, uh, his last name is A. H-L-S-T-R-O-M, if you want to look him up in his Twitter handle. I hope you don't mind, Rex, is at Rex, R-E-X, A-H-L-S-T-R-O-M, and John Fisk, F-I-S-K-E at S-A-P. Both very smart, both very engaged and engaging. Happy to be speaking with them, and all I'll say to our listeners is we're going to take a 90-second break, and you can take one, too. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
the pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Absolutely, positively, we're back. We're talking about enterprise data management. It's an evolution. It's holistic. Maybe we're on the way. It's rapid, moving farther ahead because of all these new disruptive technologies. But basically, at the bottom, we need the foundation of solid data. That's what we've gotten so far in more, much more eloquent terms than that by my two guests, Rex Alstrom from Back Office Associates and John Fisk. At SAP. We're going to start our roundtable in earnest, as my late wonderful mother used to say. I had a date uh, one time, a blind date, John and, and Rex, and the man's name was Ernest, and I told my mother about the date. It was just a one-time thing, and she said to me, he was Ernest, but was he sincere? I thought that was a gem. My mother was good at that stuff. <laughs> from a mother. Never, that's right. Never forgot that. She lived to over 100, actually. She was lived alone by herself. Anyway, here we go. Here's what Rex told me before the show. Using a crowdsourced approach, an organization can effectively automate data quality management and governance. I'm going to stop right there and let you finish the thought, Rex, and tell us more, and then we'll see what John has to say, whether he agrees or disagrees. Go ahead, Rex. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in a lot of organizations, even still today, when you say the word data, it's often then immediately pushed into the IT department. Uh, data is the responsibility of IT. The data is not right. IT has to fix it. Uh, then companies oftentimes will try to establish a center of excellence, a small group of people that uh, include people on the business side that know a little bit more about the data. Uh, but the reality with most centers of excellence is that it's a bunch of people that already have full-time jobs, and now they have this other kind of full-time job trying to figure out how to make the data better. Mm-hmm. And, and the model just doesn't scale. Uh, it's very difficult for those that are stuck with the job. It's usually something they don't necessarily want to do. And the tools at their disposal have tended to be, again, geared towards IT users, i.e. Uh, very technical um, the reality today is that the way technology has evolved, even in our own use of technology, whether it's smartphones or what we can do on the Internet, 
is more of a self-service model. It allows us to go and get what we need quickly and efficiently and move on to our next task. And so this idea of crowdsourcing data quality or crowdsourcing information governance really means that we need to take a, a wider aperture when we think about who can be the data contributors within inside of our organization and how do we crowdsource that effort? How do we enable them to be data contributors? How do we collect information from them? How do we essentially capture all of the tribal knowledge that exists relative to how we want to manage data, what, the, what good quality data looks like, and what data is required to run the business? Well, it's with the business. It's not with IT. IT is an enabling function. Uh, but if we think more about how we bring this out to the company, out to everyone who cares and is impacted by poor data quality or lack of understanding of information or governance process, then we're going to have a much easier time implementing solutions, agreement across the organization, and really impacting change. Um, initially, maybe at small levels, but over time, as with any crowdsourced effort, it can become quite large and quite successful. So... I definitely believe that that holds a strong future for how we will overcome the issues that we face today as it relates to data. Very interesting. I'm not used to hearing the term crowdsourcing in something about data handling and governance and the idea that you said emphatically not IT. I'd love to get John Fisk's thought on this. John, what about this getting the data solid and talking about the management and governance? What do you think? Agree or disagree? So absolutely love and support the the idea that the business needs to be the owner of data, data quality, master data, if you will. Um, it, you know, we, we've seen a lot of train wrecks where IT, like, like Rex is alluding to, where IT kind of takes this on as, a, as an IT project, disconnected from the business, and it, it just it doesn't work because priorities are different and, 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 and management uh, agenda priorities are different. So, um, so the, the you know, crowdsourcing is a great idea uh, if we can, you know, empower the business, the right business users to to manage the data. Um, I think one of the complicated things, and I, I know Rex is working on this actually, but in that in that context, how do you, you still need oversight um, and controls and some KPIs to manage data quality through that through that process? So. You can't. It, it's not anarchy, right? You can't have everybody out there just banging away trying to change data and, and modify, clean it. But so um, obviously, you need to have a fairly structured uh, way of overseeing overseeing it, even if in fact the ownership is is delegated out to the business where, where it really belongs. So, agree with the concept fully. Uh, I, I just love to see how the details work in operations. I'd like to go back to Rex and bounce that off of you, Rex. John was very, very specific. It has to be structured, not anarchy. I love that term. I'm almost afraid to tweet it, but I'm going to anyway. You need oversight, KPIs, and control. So, Rex, your thoughts on that? Can we take this a little bit further? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, in some ways, we almost have anarchy today as well, when, especially when we say the word governance. So... When you say to a business user that you're going to implement a governance program, typically they translate that immediately into, oh, wonderful. That means that things will run slower. It's like a government body that's overseeing and passing laws and rules and regulations, and it's going to impact my ability 
to be more agile and to support the business. Um, and I, I know that that's not what uh, John is implying at all. I think the key to making crowdsourcing work, and the devil's in the details, right, is that effective governance should actually enable the business to do more because they're not dealing with uh, failures because of data quality issues or lack of trust in data or not understanding where data lives and where it's stored across the enterprise. It allows people to be more agile. So governance would be the opposite. Mm -hmm. It would free the business to move faster and to accomplish more. Um, But I also do agree that it isn't just a free-for-all. You have to have some way, some conduit to collect that information and to process it and to standardize it and make it repeatable without it being the old-school view of governance, which is, hey, this is just going to slow us down. So crowdsourcing is a little bit in opposition. It would appear to governance, but if mm-hmm. implemented effectively, I think you actually can solve that problem. Thank you. I'm going to move on to a topic from John Fisk's notes here. John, uh, bear with me here. I'm looking at your second statement. You say almost every large enterprise has a hybrid data architecture. Some of it's managed on-premise. Some of it is managed in the cloud. But let me go one step further here. You say because of the cost, the latency, and the complexity of moving data between environments, we're seeing high levels of interest in virtual data management where they leave the data where it is, but they extract the views and queries to support real-time queries. John, can you unpack this for me, please, and tell us more? Yeah, sure. Um, the right, We alerted to this a little bit in the, in the opening, but... Um, the old architecture, the old idea was you, you, you sort of bring your data into a central uh, data warehouse kind of architecture, where and this is a massive, uh, massive platform. It can handle petabytes of data, but there's a ton of work, a ton of people needed to extract data from different systems across the enterprise and transform it and cleanse it and pull it into these warehouses. Right, that was sort of the old model that became just overwhelmed by the, by the variety, uh, velocity, and volume of, of data coming at them. And mm-hmm. so now, the, the idea of federation, it's also called virtualized, you can virtualize your data or federate it, um, is that you can leave the data where it is, scattered in different systems and different applications and databases across your enterprise, but using, using good data management Tools, platforms, you can, you can leave the data where it is, but know what it is and, and see the field level, see the table level of the data and incorporate it in, an, in a sort of a virtual way into your queries. So if you're running analytics or if you want to, say, combine customer data with geospatial data or something in some interesting kind of analysis you're doing for your marketing group, for example, uh, you, you don't have to pull the different, the geospatial data and the customer data all into one place. You could just leave it where it is, but make your query such that it'll pull what, what's needed and combine it on the fly and present it into your analytic applications that way. And this, this sort of virtual aggregation is so much more efficient uh, because you can, the users can you know, pull the data they need. If they're like, ah, you know, that isn't quite what I need. I need this field instead or that table. They can just click, click, and, and, and repeat the query in a matter of seconds Whereas in the old days, it took weeks and weeks for IT to sort of figure out how to extract and transform the right data and pull it back into the warehouse. So these new virtual architectures, hopefully that makes sense, but these new virtual architectures Mm -hmm. are much more nimble, and they're also very cost-effective because you don't have to move massive data sets out of your cloud, up into your cloud, that's very expensive, or into different databases in your your organization. So 
It's leaner, meaner, it's more nimble and it, by, by sort of virtualizing or federating uh, the data landscape. Does that make sense, Fascinating. Bonnie? Yeah, yeah, it really does. I'm just wondering what happens to the lakes and the rivers and the oceans of data. Are you going to leave the data? Sw- <laughs> you going to leave it swimming there? You need a bigger rowboat to find it, or do you just uh, send out somebody with a a periscope to come up from a submarine and say, "I see data in there that we want." I'm I'm being a little bit facetious, but not really, because we've talked about data lakes and oceans and rivers on this show before. Any comment on that, John? And then I'm going to bounce it back off of off of Rex. What about, I mean, are we talking about? That's a great the, point, Dave. Data Thank lakes you. have, uh, you know, you know, evolved into data swamps and data rivers. I mean, it's it's uh, it, they, it depends how an enterprise uses them or runs them. Um, they can be they can just be a, a catch a dumping ground, right? And it, it really mm-hmm. becomes almost useless to get to try to get anything out of it. But that's I don't know. I, from my experience, uh, uh, the the smarter companies have been avoiding that fate and have been sort of stewarding their data lakes a little more. Uh, you know, a little more cautiously and only putting in sort of high-value data and knowing what's in there. Uh, and then, yes, you can use the exact same data virtualization or data federation techniques in a, in a data lake that you can uh, with other systems. So effectively, you can, you can put the data in there and then just pull out what you need for your particular analytic needs. Thank you. I'm very honored that, that I said something that was valid. You, you very really flattered me by saying, yeah, you have a point there. Let's, let's bounce this back to Rex Alstrom at Back Office Associates. Rex, agree or disagree? What do you think about this concept of virtual data management? Is it getting very, very popular? Is it part of this fast-moving, virtual, uh, holistic evolution in data management? What's your thought? Yeah, I think it is definitely a, a critical technology, and it's it's desperately needed based on specific user types and and use cases. Um, you know, a really good one are the data scientists that are out there uh, working at companies, and they're trying to discover and understand and build data sets that can be reused by others across the business, that can be driven effectively into Again, AI programs and, and analytic programs within those businesses. Uh, so it's very powerful. Um, as John said, you don't have to move the data. It can be very lightweight. You can do the discovery rather than have to pull it all into one place and then do the discovery. Uh, but I would also say that data lakes aren't going away. I, I think the, the old view of, hey, build a big database and, and we're going to design all these cube structures and all these other things and lay on top all of these analytics applications, that style is definitely struggling, I think, because they're hard to maintain. Mm-hmm. As John said, moving the data is costly, and is it up-to-date? Is it the latest? But we also see a big trend with the hyperscalers, uh, the big cloud platforms, and moving to more nimble data lakes and being able to uh, move a lot of operational data into these large data stores and leveraging newer technologies, including some of the uh, AI and ML platforms that run on those uh, data lakes to also derive value. So it depends on the use case. I think both are very important and both mm-hmm. will see a future. Old-style data lakes, they're going to go away because uh, most of them have not delivered the value to the business. Uh, if the... Uh, CIOs are really pressed, or the new CDOs within the companies, are they really getting the value out of those old structures? Um, Probably not as much value as they hoped when they made the initial investments. Interesting. Thank you very much. Uh, John, anything you want to 
cop, pop back on what Rex said because I'm ready to move on to something else in Rex's notes. Nope. But John, any, you said it well. good? Good. Okay. Here's something interesting in your notes that popped out, jumped out at me, Rex. You say, don't hold back a, data, a digital transformation to tackle data quality issues first. There isn't enough time. This sounds very strong, very mandatory, <laughs> and very urgent, along with this evolution. Now it sounds like almost a revolution. So where are we with this? Rex, can you give us a little more, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, a lot of companies get jammed up because they they want to solve the whole problem rather than get started and try to create some wins and some progress within the organization. And uh, digital transformation is a heavily used term for us in, in this day. Um, everything from what John mentioned about the move to cloud, but dealing with hybrid environments and trying to uh, create a competitive edge for your company and, and really drive innovation, or maybe you're trying to improve your business processes and you're trying to streamline your operation and save the company money, or maybe you're just trying to stay out of the court system and not be sued because of compliance reasons. Um, but bottom line is that if you try to, you know, the old eat the elephant in one bite, you're never going to do it. And so coming up with very targeted, high-value uh, data tasks, programs, and strategies where you can get a measurable result in a short time with a small number of people to build the business case, to build the value of further investment, you're going to get the momentum to do more. And oftentimes, especially when you start talking about data, how do you come up with the ROI? How do you get the internal funding to do this? We all know that if you're not transforming your business, you're not taking advantage of new business models and the things I mentioned, your competitors are. And that is the, the call to action. You're, you're going to go out of business or you're going to be severely minimized in the market. And the answer is just get going. Now, don't look for the perfect solution. Tackle the data issue. Make it a track. Give it executive sponsorship. Make people accountable. And, you know, don't boil the ocean. Pick something where you can get an immediate result based on a, a known investment and then build from there. Very well said. That goes back to your quote from Benjamin Franklin, never confuse motion with action. Okay, don't be paddling in that lake or, lake or swamp. Do something, for goodness sake. John Fisk, love to get your thoughts on this. Agility, making continuous adjustments, and just get going. What's your thought? So, yeah, what comes to mind is that SAP also went through a data strategy kind of a initiative or a, a realization about five years ago that we were struggling with poor data quality and poor data management. Hmm. And, you know, j just b building on Rex's point, I mean, the key, our, our chief data officer, uh, Lady Maria Villar, who's an excellent uh, thought leader, if you're, if you're ever interested, she wrote a book about it. But um, she, you know, her, her philosophy was very much along the lines that Rex just laid out, where you don't boil the ocean. You say, we work with the business first and foremost. You understand what are the key things we've got to do and really, really ruthlessly prioritize to the point where, you know, for some projects, you'd say, I'm going to fix these five fields, and that's it, right? But make it very important fields. Like, these are the customer, the key, key parts of data around a customer or a product or material, things like that. And by prioritizing and making sure the business is aligned, that these are, in fact, the priorities and they're bought in, 
She was very effective. And, and like, like Rex was saying, just a quick win, you know, it may take a couple months to then fix, fix those five fields globally and say, okay, now we have good solid data for these five fields. What's next? And then you can expand and then you can build. And it kind of, like Rex, if you try to take it all on, it's just an immense project. But bit by bit, top priorities first is the way to go. Thank you. Very, very interesting. I have to tell you that we're already at 51 after, and that means we've got six minutes to finish up this conversation. And I'd like to give you each a little more time than I usually give my panelists for your predictions. We call this the crystal ball segment of the show. So, Rex Alstrom, I'm going to circle back to you around the table. I'm going to ask you to peek into that crystal ball and tell me how far out you want to go in terms of what will happen to this evolution slash revolution with data management, governance, keeping in the lakes, doing virtual data management, having the scientists look and say, okay, one step at a time, we're not boiling the ocean, let's just do something and keep it moving. So Rex, how far out do you want to go? In 90 seconds, give me your best prediction, what's going to change, please. Uh, I'd say we could go between two and four years, and what we're going to see is a quick movement where data is really more of a fabric with inside of the businesses. And that fabric serves many applications, many use cases, and many consumers. Um, how, thinking about data not as siloed in applications, whether it's on-prem or cloud, but something that's readily accessible, uh, that is easily integrated, and that uh, can be consumed more rapidly is going to be commonplace. Um, even today in a, in a recent uh, ASUG survey, integration, which was always a very tricky problem, was not seen as the current problem. The problem was that information was still stored and interpreted in different ways across different applications. And that's one of the root causes of why these hybrid environments are so difficult to manage. So moving data almost up out of the application to think about it holistically is going to enable new concepts around AI. For example, uh, swarm intelligence, the idea that almost like a, a hive of bees, they know what it is they're doing together and how they service the hive or uh, a um, ant colony, right? Every piece understands how it builds upon the next. And when it comes to AI and even the quote they had in the beginning, it alludes to that. The idea that the swarm intelligence, which would only really operate if it had full access to the data fabric that builds the business, that will become possible. And with that will come huge innovations in ways that uh, will impact humankind uh, in healthcare and in many different industries in ways that we simply can't today because the data is still very much locked up. Thank you, Rex. Perfect, perfect timing. 90 seconds for Mr. John Fisk. Go ahead, John. What do you see and how far out? All right, I'm going to take this in a different tangent, Bonnie, um, a little bit. I, I'm going to talk about the nature of regulation uh, and privacy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd say, you know, in the, let's say the 10-year horizon, um, you know, first general comment, you know, we, we t- I talked to lots of companies, and by and large, they are very thoughtful, caring, cautious stewards of personal information, right? They, they really do realize you, they can't screw this up, and, and, and they're very cautious and respectful of it. Um, these regulatory regimes that are coming to place, GDPR in Europe or CCPA in California, 
these are also actually very helpful to kind of nudge them and all their competition to kind of keep investing and do the right thing and to formalize, you know, how they manage private information in their, in their environments. So I actually think that those are great, and I, and I feel like corporations are then not going to be the problem, right? We're going to, we're, you know, I feel like they, they've got this under control and the regulations will help, right? Um, the challenges that I'm imagining are going to emerge are sort of from non-corporate entities, whether it's governments or, or even criminal groups. Um, mm. And, and it's, it, the, the challenge I see is that it's so easy with modern technology to compile huge data sets and using advanced analytics on them sort of de-anonymize data. And re- even if it's anonymized in the beginning, you can connect a few, a few points and make inferences and get a very clear picture of, of what the data is telling you. And so I, I fear that um, we're maybe being overly reassured that, that these regulations are going are gonna to protect us overall. Uh, not to end on a dark note, but, but I, I, think, uh, you know, I think data privacy will remain an issue and, and reemerge. Mm-hmm. We, we're sort of in a, a period where these regulations are coming into effect and companies are doing the right thing now. And I think we'll, it'll stabilize for a little while and then it'll reemerge in five or ten years. It's like, oh, my gosh, we really need to... We need to think about this again. I don't, I don't have any answers, but uh, I just think it's an interesting problem that hasn't really been addressed yet. So. Thank you very much. Both very insightful. I'm tweeting here, thanking SAP Radio. Thanks, data management experts Rex Alstrom at Back Office Associates and John Fisk at SAP for savvy insights and engaging commentary. And I'm including the link for the on-demand. So I want to thank both of you for being my very special guests. I learned a lot from both of you, and I know that our listeners will and did as well. So here's my shout-out. Out. Well, number one to Arsha Arvandi at SAP for putting together this topic and this wonderful panel. Ru Jha has been working with me for a long time. Happy maternity leave, Ru. We wish you all the best. Ira Burke, sponsor of this long-running series. Aaron Keller at World Talk Radio, our engineer extraordinaire here on the Business Channel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? There's probably data in our seatbelts these days. I don't know who's looking at it, though. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Rex Alstrom at Back Office Associates, just like John Fisk at SAP. Talk to you next week. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.